Good morning. Thank you to the whole family. Uh, it is Memorial Day weekend, and certainly on this weekend we honor those who, most importantly, have made the ultimate sacrifice, and the men and women who have died to protect this country and our freedoms. But I also wanted to, as we start off, and have so many visitors today, uh, if there's anybody who has served or is currently serving, if you could just stand up so we can acknowledge you today. Thank you very much. Romans chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. And again, so excited to have so many visitors for this great baptism Sunday. And we will have a potluck meal after this. I hope you can all stay for that. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful day, this opportunity we have to come together to worship you, to worship your great name. Lord, we thank you for the people who are getting baptized, that we can uh, rejoice in this moment with them. Lord, we pray for all of them, for a lifetime of service and devotion to you, Lord. And we do once again acknowledge and thank you on this Memorial Day weekend for those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Please bless our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our society loves justice. If you look through the TV listings during the middle of the day, it shows like Judge Judy, Judge Jerry, the People's Court, Divorce Court, Relative Justice. This continues into primetime TV of the top 25 most popular primetime network shows in America last season, 12 of them were dedicated to crime and law enforcement. Shows like Chicago PD, FBI, The Equalizer, NCIS, NCIS Hawaii, NCIS Los Angeles. You have TV channels which largely aim their programming at true crime. Headline news has basically become the Forensic Files channel. Investigation Discovery is basically the crime channel. Shows like Cops and America's Most Wanted have become cultural staples. Cable channels, cable news channels cover high-profile court cases exhaustively. O.J. Simpson, Casey Anthony, last year the case with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. We live in a society that loves justice. It's also true of the movies we watch. We love stories of good and evil. Six of the top 20 highest grossing movies of all time are Marvel superhero movies with storylines revolving around good, defeating evil. Other movies on that list are films like Star Wars and Avatar. Even in sports, when a referee or umpire makes the wrong call, there is outrage because we want the right thing to happen. We love justice. But then we consider the idea of a just and righteous God, and suddenly, for so many, we don't like that idea so much. The idea of a holy God who could judge people is so often looked at with contempt. How could God judge? Judging is bad. We love justice, but the idea of a God who judges we often hate. And it's on that train of thought that I want to consider our passage this morning from Romans 1. 
The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed to the world and points a sinful world to true justice and righteousness. And the main idea of our passage today is that we should not be ashamed of the gospel in a shameful world. And we'll look at this passage in three parts as it describes the gospel, what it is, who it's for, and how it works. First part, what the gospel is, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. There is power in the gospel because of what it represents. It is the message of grace and forgiveness that comes from faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the Lord who came into the world for our salvation. And by understanding the gospel, it introduces us to the will of God. It communicates God's redemption. And the gospel shows us God's faithfulness to his people. I love this quote from the late New Testament scholar Leon Morris. The gospel is not advice to people, suggesting that they lift themselves. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power, and God's power at that. When the gospel is preached, this is not simply so many words being uttered. The power of God is at work. When the gospel enters anyone's life, it's as though the very fire of God has come upon him. End quote. Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. But many in our world can live with this temptation that the gospel is something to hide from, something to try to change, something to water down. And I think that happens for several reasons. One that I've already touched upon, there are doctrines associated with the gospel which many in our society find offensive. The doctrine of sin, that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our world doesn't like that idea. We like to lift up our own goodness. As I said in the beginning, many don't like the idea of a morally righteous God who judges sin. In fact, many try to judge God and say that he's not really that good or really that loving because he's a God who is a God of justice. Many act like we should be entitled to whatever grace or blessings God has just because we say so. For so many in our world, we want what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Our world wants an easy gospel that asks nothing of us. For so many, they want Jesus as a life coach, but not as a savior, and certainly not as Lord. Some are ashamed of the gospel because they don't like the idea that it is only Jesus who saves, because they want to be their own savior. They want to believe that they can be good enough. They say things like, what about someone who's a good person? What about someone of a different faith? What about someone who's never heard the gospel? And so they try to find a way around the gospel, find ways around the exclusivity or the necessity of Christ as the only one who can bring salvation. Not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel says that we are hopeless, we are dead in sin apart from Christ. People can be ashamed of the gospel because of certain moral teachings of the Bible. Sure, we can all get on board with teachings that it's good to love other people, but then there are harder passages to follow. 
For many, they don't like the devotion that Jesus calls us to. They want to live their own lives and do their own things. There are passages which deal with subjects like suffering, the doctrine of hell. Those are not popular ideas. There are biblical passages that cut against the grain of our society, passages which challenge the values of the modern world, passages that deal with issues of gender and human sexuality. And so for many, there can be a temptation to want to disregard the Bible and teachings that they don't like. Treating the Bible like it's something that needs to be hidden from or sugar-coated. There are those who mock the gospel message. They mock the message of forgiveness, that God forgives people just because they have faith. They ask, then why even bother being good? The message of grace is offensive. And so it can be our pride in ourselves which causes us to try to make the gospel something less than what it really is. People do this because they don't understand it. Their hearts have never been touched by grace. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. On the other side of the coin, there are those who live ashamed of the gospel because they don't think it's quite sufficient on its own. Sure, they believe in Jesus, but they feel like they need to live as though he needs our help in saving us. Like it's up to us in our own strength and our own ability to get it right and to try to be good enough. That too is not the gospel. As the great Puritan minister Jonathan Edwards said, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. People can be ashamed of God when the going gets tough, when bad things happen, when life doesn't go as planned, and question a Savior who allows these things to happen. Perhaps that's part of the reason that, for Christians, so many of us struggle with sharing our faith, because there's a part of us that doesn't truly believe it's good news. We functionally live ashamed of the gospel when we don't want to believe what it teaches, when we want to add to it or take away from it, or when we want to make it what we want it to be rather than to worship God for what it really is. There can be many reasons why a sinful world would be ashamed of the gospel, but our text gives the reason why we should not be ashamed, because it is the power of God for salvation. It is a message of life in a world that is dead in sin. It is a message of forgiveness to a world that is guilty. It is a message of hope in a world that apart from Christ is hopeless. That we do sin, that we on our own cannot fix that problem. But the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ offers forgiveness. We come to our second point, who it's for. Verse 16 continues, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The passage here is emphasizing that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the whole world, for all who believe and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel doesn't discriminate. No person or group is more deserving of grace than any other. No one deserves it based on his or her own merit. And without Christ, we are all equally unworthy. There is one gospel, 
and all who are saved are saved because of the same gospel. No one's sins are so great that the cross of Christ cannot redeem. No one is stained so much that the blood of the Lamb cannot wash them. It is something that everyone desperately needs, and it is something which God offers to all who believe, not ashamed of the gospel. In verse 16, where Paul says that the gospel is given to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the point is that in God's providence, the hope of salvation was first given to his chosen people, but now in Christ, the offer is global. When Paul refers to Greeks here, it's meant to be a representative for the rest of the world, and that's the good news. It's for a person who was raised in church and someone who was not. It's for the person who has had a lifetime of being a good person and walking the straight and arrow, and a person who's had a lifetime of struggles but wants to trust in the grace of Christ. It's for the person who's known Jesus for years, and it's for the person who meets Jesus today. It is for all who come to Christ and believe in him by faith, not ashamed of the gospel. And so, so far we've talked about what the gospel is, who it's for, third point, how it works. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And what does that mean? God is righteous morally. He is perfect and without sin. He is holy. Furthermore, everything God does is in accordance with his righteousness. And so, because God is righteous, his gospel is also righteous. And the way God forgives sinners is righteous. And the judgment for the ungodly is righteous. And the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And this passage says that the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is the basis for our righteousness before God. It's trusting in the Lord. Later on in this same book of Romans, in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul refers to Abraham. And it's that Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It has always been faith that has saved people. That's not a way to be saved. It is the way to be saved. And the reason why we can be made right is because we have a Savior who took the punishment of our sin for us. God is good. People are not. But because God is good, God made a way for people to be forgiven. And that way is Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He gave his life for yours because there had to be a penalty for sin. God would not simply wipe the slate clean because that would be unjust. Our sin demands justice because sin comes at a cost. And we sin all the time. We're sinful people. But on the cross, Jesus bore the cost of our sin. And I've used this illustration before, but the recently departed Tim Keller gives this great example. That there's no such thing as simply forgiving. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. Imagine that I came to your house and I broke something of yours that was expensive. Maybe your TV or a computer. Maybe a musical instrument or I accidentally broke a window. Someone has to pay for it. You could say, don't worry about it, Josh. It's fine. I'll take care of it. 
then you would be paying for it. Maybe it'd say, no way, Josh, you're paying for this. Then I would be paying for it. Maybe we come to some sort of mutual agreement where we go 50-50. Then both of us are sharing and paying for it. Maybe you say, you know what, don't worry about it. I don't, I don't really need this. I'll just go without. Then you're still paying the price of not having what you had. If the insurance company has to pay for it, that's still someone paying for it. It has to be paid for one way or another. When we forgive someone, we bear a burden. And the bigger the wrong someone does, the more costly it is to forgive. If you think of the worst thing someone has ever done to you, to truly forgive that person costs something. But with our sin, we could not pay that price. Because forgiveness is not as simple as just ignoring the wrong that was done. So with our sin against God, how does God approach forgiveness? All the wrongs and injustices of the world? All of the wrongs and sins in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own actions? We could have never paid that price. We could have never done enough to earn forgiveness. There was no hope. But on the cross, we see that Jesus himself bore the cost of our sins. When we were in the courtroom, we were found guilty of our crime. But Jesus confessed on our behalf and took the punishment for us. And in Christ, we are found not guilty. That is the gospel, that it is a righteousness that comes from God. In the gospel, we are justified because an innocent man took the punishment for us. Jesus paid the price. He bore the cost of our sins. And so when we want to try to rely on ourselves to bear that penalty, and we're saying that we don't want Jesus to give us his righteousness, then we have to pay. But what we are incapable of doing is earning God's forgiveness and grace on our own. As Paul will later say in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There is justice and God's judgment for unbelief. God made a way, and the way to him is the cross of Christ. God is glorified in all people. For those who believe, he is glorified by means of his grace. And for those who do not believe, who refuse the evidence of God, who refuse to accept the grace of Christ, whose sin has no atonement, who have had the opportunity and yet still deny the work of Christ, God is glorified in his just and righteous judgment. And so the way to forgiveness and grace is to know that Jesus is the Lord who took on the weight of our sins. Like the popular Christian hymn says, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? And we believe and the righteousness of God is revealed in us who are justified through the perfect life and death of a righteous Savior. And so, taking everything in this passage together and what it tells us about the gospel, what it does, it reveals the power of God, the power of a God who is mighty to save. Who it's for? It's for the Jew and the Greek. It's for everyone who places their trust in Christ. It's a message that the world desperately needs, the gospel. 
to understand the weight of sin and the glorious grace of Christ. How it works? Because God justifies us when we have faith. He makes us right. Jesus takes the punishment for us. All forgiveness comes at a cost, and the cost that God paid was the death of his son. And the price that Jesus paid was living the righteous life that we could not, dying the unjust death that we deserved, and raising to life so that all who believe in him can have forgiveness and life. An innocent man died the death of the guilty and rose so that the guilty could be declared innocent and joined him in eternal life. And I'll say it again, but it works through faith. It works through knowing what Jesus has done. The Bible says that if you confess your sins and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are forgiven. We aren't saved through knowing obscure theological ideas. We are not saved by our own works, by our own actions, by our own goodness, by our obedience. We cannot earn our way to God, but the grace is freely offered. We are saved by a person who is a personal God who died a personal death for people. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of a God who made a good world. Not ashamed of a God who is righteous. Not ashamed of a God who is perfect and has standards. Not ashamed of a God who made a way. Not ashamed of a savior who took my penalty. Not ashamed of a savior who loved me and was willing to die for me. Not ashamed of a savior who rose from the dead so that all who believe in him can enjoy eternity with him. Not ashamed of a God who did all these things despite the fact that we didn't deserve them. Not ashamed of the gospel because it is the only message that brings life. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the gospel. And I pray for everyone here today, Lord, that we can have hearts and minds that are dedicated to you, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, repenting of our sins, turning to you, trusting in Christ. And once again, I pray for these people getting baptized today, for each and every one of them, Lord, that we do this as a celebration of the good news of the gospel, as an act of worship and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord Jesus instituted water baptism prior to his ascension when he commanded his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. It symbolizes our union with Christ. As Jesus died and rose, in baptism we are immersed in the water and brought back up as a symbol of death and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And at this church, we practice believer's baptism, meaning that in order to be baptized, one must able, be able to give a profession to their own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, 
verses 30 and 31. It says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they commanded him to get baptized, to follow what Christ had commanded. And at this point, if the people who are getting baptized today would please come forward so they can share their testimonies.